Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, everyone. My name's Steve Soper, and I was a professional racing driver. Well, that's what other people called me anyway, um, for, I don't know, 30 years. I'm now retired, but still going round and round in circles, um, like a dog with a, a firework tied to its tail. But I'm now, all the money I earned, I'm now spending on still, what's the word, um, challenging the addiction to keep going. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. My name is John Marker. I am joined also by... Rachel Downey. And Rachel and I are here, as you've just heard, joined by Motorsport Royalty. I'm going to try not to say anything that's going to be too inflating for you, Steve. But Motorsport Royalty, I think, is fair. <laughs> I've noticed that on the internet you're regarded often as the Superman. Is that a term that you're still, you still hear frequently? Yes, some magazines <laughs> still bring that up. I, I, think it, I, don't, I can't remember which magazine. I think it was Autosport. I obviously did quite well at some race and they nicknamed me Superman, which was, <laughs> yeah. I, I had no problem. They could have, it's you know, great. could have called me something a lot worse. So, and that seemed <laughs> to stick for quite a few years. So fantastic. And we are currently sat just to kind of paint the picture for you, dear listener. <laughs> we are currently sat in, I think we're in the big boss's office, aren't we? In a dealership in Hampshire. We are at Partridge BMW. We are here today to bring a whole collection of content together. We're making a video celebrating 50 years of BMW M, which if you're a regular podcast listener, you'll know is my life through and through as a bit of a BMW M fanatic. Rachel, you've been you've kind of been briefed on my BMW geekery, uh, but I think today might be the first day that you're going to see it really flourish. Yeah, I don't <laughs> quite know what to expect. But yeah, I've seen how excited you are about 
Geekery is probably the best word to describe you anyway, full stop. I'm happy with that. Yeah, I'm very yeah, comfortable with that. Yeah, own that, own that. But yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm intrigued to see how much of a geek you can become. Okay, well, we'll we, we, we will see. Now, Rachel obviously is our motorsport expert. So Rachel has got some lovely facts and figures and, and some overall highlights that we'll be able to go through to unpick a bit of your career, Steve. But it's not going to be purely motorsport related. Obviously, we're fascinated to dive into you, the, the human as well, both uh, away from the circuit. But of course, I guess it's worth starting off and mentioning there is a bit of a significance to us being sat here at Partridge in Hampshire, uh, because this is a BMW dealership that once upon a time you were a co-owner of, is that right? <coughs> yeah, um, I think it was I think it was 2012 or 2013, Toby and I purchased this particular one. Toby had worked for BMW um, GB for a number of years and I already had a dealership at the time and he, we decided we ought to get together and try and purchase one and this one came up and after a, a bit of sort of hard work and the haggling and finding the funds we we ended up purchasing it um, and he's I sold him my shares I think I, I think he paid me the last bit of money last year a year or so ago so I'm no longer involved as an owner. I'm still a consultant. Um, and it was great fun to be involved with Toby. He sort of, he, he looks at things the same as I do, um, which is pretty cynical. <laughs> um, but uh, he was a good, good partner to have and the business has just got stronger and stronger and the growth of it is, you know, it's now I think the largest single BMW dealer in the country it's amazing isn't it mm. yeah i mean partridge have been very kind to us at driven chat over the past year or so perhaps even more because they've very kindly been able to arrange some long-term test drives for us to do and do some filming with and yeah just everyone i speak to here is just such a lovely person yeah. i'm sure it's a great joy for you to come back and be able to sit down with the guys and girls <clears throat> do you prefer it as a consultant more so than an owner yes it's a bit I of mean, relief you know uh, i'm here as a consultant but most of the time we talk about motorsport, yeah. the, the business gets about 10 minutes um, of time and the rest of the, the days we, we catch up on what he's been doing, what I've been doing. I'm here sort of once a month, um, but we see each other sociably outside as well. So it's, uh, it is more motorsport. Um, well, what did you think of this? And what did you yeah. watch MotoGP? What about that? And yeah, yeah. it's all that. And then finally, oh, at the end of the day, we better catch up on the business. <laughs> yeah. Talk shop for a bit and then, uh, and then move on. So I guess, I mean, we, we, we must have a bit of a dive into your motorsport career and your history. But I always like going right back to the early days because your father was involved in motorsport, wasn't he? He was a driver. He, he used to do some rallying and some sprints, very, very low-key, amateurish sort of um but i as a as a child as a young youngster i was dragged along <laughs> to do you know support him or be be there whatever he was doing and then in some of the other times we would go off as a family to watch the, the larger race meetings at silverstone and crystal palace and wow, stuff yeah. like that so obviously it was you know if I wanted to be a tennis player, it wasn't going to happen. It was sort of, you know, fumes and castrolar smelling, burning tyres and stuff like that. Yeah. And did you, um, you left school at 15 and you taught yourself to read. And I, I always find it fascinating how people 
like become who they are, how they enter the, the world, whatever career they choose. And obviously you're from a generation like 80s, 90s with motorsport. It's a different generation of motorsport. But yeah, tell us, so 15, left school and you took yourself to well, Greek. No qualifications. So that they've, at the time they went, come 11 plus, they said that's a waste of time. I didn't like school. Mm. I didn't, I called into my wife that always reminds friends. She says, well, you never went to school. Mm. I did go to school. Yeah. Not not very often, but I did go. But I'm very, very dyslexic, and I couldn't read. So you, when we were sitting in the class and, you know, the kids were getting up to read a chapter or a page, I I was dreading, you know, that they were going to say, right now, Steve, it's your turn, stand up, and I couldn't read. So it wasn't until... And back in my day at school, which would have been the 60s, yeah. they didn't understand dyslexia, just thought yeah. I was stupid. Um, so it was it was only when I left school, and the fact I was interested in motorsport, I started buying autosport and motoring news. I taught myself to read, and that was just through the interest of cars. I, I had to yeah. understand and know what was going on. Yeah, and because it was a magazine, you know, that was part of to, only to do with motorsport and cars and racing. You know, I I taught that. I, I was. Jumping forward a, a long time, when I was with BMW Motorsport, they wanted me to learn German, and they are oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I avoided it for about three or four years, and then my boss got really <laughs> insistent. So they sent me to school in Munich on a one-to-one -one basis, oh. seven hours a day for wow. two, ten days it was. And again, with the German, if it was about cars and racing... Ah. I, I got it nice. and I could That's even amazing. communicate and when I left at this particular time I, I sort of got a little bit of paper saying I could speak German and I could understand probably 85% but I I struggled you know to yeah. talk in German so I could probably speak um, I don't know, 50% or I thought I could yeah. and I thought I could understand 19 anyway a day later I bumped into a broad Bavarian he he could have been Russian oh, really? I had no idea what <laughs> and so, you know and it's a bit like it's but going winding it back it's the same as teaching myself to mm. read yeah once once we've gone on to motorsport and racing and cars and engines mm. then I I could use that years on mm. you know I, I Jumping ahead, I'm sort of ignoring your first question, <laughs> but jumping ahead, we were in Japan and racing for a couple of years, BMW again, and the team at the time was Snitzer, <clears throat> and suddenly we were in a debrief and the meeting all kicked off, got a bit confused and started kicking off in German, and I suddenly realised, and they didn't know I'd even been to school and learnt any German, and it had been a few years Anyway, since I'd learned that. Anyway, basically I worked out that they'd flown in an engine, which was meant to be for me for the race uh -huh. that weekend. And this was on the Friday evening before the weekend and before the racing all started. And that engine had got mistakenly put into my teammate's car. Uh -huh. And it all kicked off in <laughs> German. And, you know, arms and, you know, how did this happen, blah, 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 blah. And uh, anyway, they calmed down, and most of them left, and I was just left in there with the with the team manager. So I said, "So how did that happen?" He looked at me because he obviously didn't think 
I understood yeah. or could talk any German. Yeah. He said, how long have you been understanding? <laughs> and I've been with him years, you know. It wasn't yet. like a New Year. So it does, there are little times when you you can get it. But again, if the conversation turned into politics or... yeah. I would have been lost. Oh, you and me both. Don't worry about that. <laughs> you and me both. I love it when your dad, so again, kind of going back to this, maybe this, this yeah. era for you, your dad said to you when you worked for him, because you worked for him for seven years, um, you can't have a nice road car, racing car, and a girlfriend. You've got to pick one. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think mean, that's brilliant anyway. I love the fact that, that he said that. Um, and then he just said, only go racing to enjoy yourself. Don't think you can make a living out of it no he actually said just do it as a hobby you'll never win okay so, how does that make you feel is that well it, he was i mean he was great my pop he mm. would he would help me he would give me every hour of his time mm. to do with a racing car so whether it was building and he was much a far better engineer than i ever was or am um, so he could build an engine. If I built a race engine, it would break or it would just give no horsepower, whereas his engines were quite good. But he'd give me all of his time and effort and, our, and advice. I never wanted the advice, but I got that thrown in if he was helping me. But he never gave me any money. Yeah. And that, at the time, it really used to bug me that he wouldn't pay or wouldn't help me out. You know, oh, Dad, I, I just need a set of time. Just lend me that. No wouldn't give me anything okay so which years on i appreciate yeah. but back then yeah i didn't appreciate um and most of his advice i just totally ignored i just thought silly <laughs> old every fool. child does that yeah exactly it? yeah, yeah. You know. but i mean you know but by then i was 17 18 and it's um i was going motor racing and i had a girlfriend and you know i was juggling all these things yeah. and normally my racing back then i'd start and i'd run out of money come may mm. you know it's just just the sheer cost of it even back then it was just un unbelievable so i'd start thinking i'm gonna do 10 races and i'd end up doing two and yeah. be broke and have to sell my nice road car to carry on yeah. the, the racing but um, he just just um, I suppose in one way he criticised me or, or lowered my expectation but in another way all he did was make me even more determined to prove him yeah. wrong so two questions to pick up from that the first one is at that age, can you remember the first time that you were in a car, you're pedalling and you're thinking, was there a, a moment a light bulb turned on where you thought, oh, actually, I'm quite good at this? Can you remember that, <clears throat> um, that thought train, or did it all happen quite organically over time? It's not to begin with, because it was all about money. Even back then, I yeah. started in 71, I think. I was doing, I was using his, his race licence at the age of 14 to do grass track right. stuff. He would let me, you know, he, he'd turn up and we belonged to a car club, or he belonged to a car club called the Howard Car Club. So he would enter an autocross, um, which is like a little race around a field, mm. basically. And then he'd say, you know, do, do you want to have a go? And I, they would just turn a blind eye and, you know, show us a licence, so I'd give them Great. his licence and I'd... <laughs> I'd blast around the field and uh, so, um, <clears throat> so moving on from that to answer your question mm. in the early years it was still only about money yeah so who who had the most money 
on the race. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got into one mate racing that I that I actually thought, oh, I'm I'm not as bad, or I I am competitive. Yeah, if that makes sense. And I could compete in one week racing because it wasn't about money. Mm. It was, you yeah. know, the cars were around a set of re- regulations that didn't need thousands of pounds to to make it win. Got you. And my follow-up one then is, can you remember having a conversation with your dad where he might have revealed, oh, actually, you are quite good? <laughs> no, he never ever said that. Right. Um, he, you know, in the early days he'd come racing and I was winning mm. at the time and he'd say just remember you know just sit there in second or third and you know, I'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know do you go think away you, leave me alone yeah. you know? do you think there was an element of him just wanted to kind of maybe keep you a bit grounded or not wanting if it all were to go wrong or something wasn't to go like to kind of protect you in a way or do you think i, might I, have I really don't know he was um you know i loved him to bits he was very helpful um, but it was his way or the highway. Mm. Um, I remember I had a, a, I bought an E-type Jaguar, which this was, I don't know, late late 70s, early 80s, and they were, even back then, they were top of the range. Yeah. And this one had a broken engine, so I was able to buy it cheap, and the plan was to rebuild the engine, obviously, mm-hmm. with my dad's help. He didn't yeah. know that when I bought it. <laughs> um, and then sell it make some make some money to go motor racing anyway we rebuilt this engine and i was trying to i wanted it finished that night that right. evening <laughs> and he was there and he said right he said we're nearly there just leave it leave it we'll finish it tomorrow no no so he went home and i he was i was left there to finish it mm-hmm. and uh, i finished basically finished it and and even now even then i should have known i only put half a can of water in it mm. and then it was full and and I kn- knew then but obviously my brain wasn't working properly that it takes you know gallons of water anyway it sort of had a must have had a an airlock or something yeah. it only took half a gallon uh, half a can of water um, and of course you know bonnet down locked up off I go home and this thing starts to overheat and I think well, I'm nearly home you know I can't mm. stop now I'm nearly anyway it seized up on the oh, way home no. came to a grinding halt oh, no. and I had to walk to a no mobile phones had to walk to a telephone box and ring him and you, you imagine the yeah. air was blue <laughs> <laughs> you stupid I told you yeah. and I mean he's said that many many times through my racing career mm. yeah. another quick story my first race was um, I think it was I did some sprints, but my actual first race was in a Ford Escort in, I think it was 1970, probably 1971. Mm-hmm. It was at Silverstone Eight Clubs. Mm-hmm. And basically, I tried to win the race on the first lap, right. first corner. And I bounced into another car, and this car that my Escort turned over, rolled over and over and over, mm-hmm. and totally destroyed itself. So anyway... Not a great, not a great um, start to my race, racing career. So I put it on the trailer, dragged it back home. I was living at home, and I backed it onto the drive. <clears throat> and he walked out, and he didn't say anything to me. Just walked around the trailer, walked past me as he was going back indoors, and he 
he called me a name which I can't repeat. One word, mm. he called me and just walked in. Oh, wow. And that was, that was a little bit our relationship. Mm. It yeah. was always that. Mm. But then he, as soon as you asked for help, not money, yeah. but as soon as you asked mm. for help, he, he was there. Got you. Yeah. So strange relationship, but it, all he did was made me more and more determined. Yeah. So maybe he knew what he was doing. Perhaps. But yeah. that's how you come across with your... When you look back at uh, your career, you do have that determination. You have... I don't know how I feel about this word, hustling, but you have, like, a hustle about you. You kind of feel like you don't <clears throat> give up, that whatever is thrown at you, you you, you get through it, you overcome it. Um, let's go right back again. Your um, British Saloon Car Championship debut in 1982. Tell me as well about... Because you were spotted by Tom Walkinshaw. Tell me about that. Um... Well, I wasn't actually spotted by Tom. I was spotted by Austin Rover. Mm. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I think a lot of how people progress in motor racing is, is talent, luck, and understanding of being in the right place at the right time. It's all free. Mm. You, you need a talent, otherwise you can't perform. Yeah. But I, I was racing a one-way championship, and I kept changing. I, did, I raced minis, then I raced Ford Fiestas, then I'd race mini metros. And I kept doing championships that had the biggest prize. And if it was a new championship, I could win it. If the championship had been running five years, then to come in and find all the tricks was very difficult to win. So every new championship. So the mini championship, I won a new car. I think it was 1977 or 78, I won a brand new mini. Then I did a Fiesta championship. That was a brand new I won that brand new Ford Fiesta. Oh, wow. And then I did the Metro Championship and won that, and that was a brand new Metro. <laughs> but in at the end of the Metro, Austin Metro, they that was a new championship. And Austin Rover's boss at the time was John Davenport, and he wanted to make something of the champion so that more people... Um, looked at his championship so rather than just giving me a prize mm. he then offered me a contract with Austin Rover right so and it was only racing a group one metro but it was still my foot was in the door now yeah. so I had a a factory contract and a little bit of money and a lot of hardware given me so it was him yeah. that basically said right do you want to race a Rover the following year and it was him who gave me to the team, I was employed by Austin Rover and I was given to Tom Walkinshaw, who actually I never got on with. I oh, really? Why no. was that? Was that a gut instinct or you just, there was something about him? Uh, he, he couldn't control me. Mm. So I was, I was naive back then. Um, I thought it was all about me. Um, and I certainly learned... Um, as years went on, that if you're employed by a manufacturer and you're paid by a manufacturer to race, which eventually I did do for 21 years, it's not about you. It's about the car, the team, team effort. Yeah. Um, if if today, if you if you're a youngster and you're doing Formula Three, Formula Two, Formula One, and you're bringing in millions of sponsorship money, then it's all about you. Yeah, but yeah. if you've been employed by a man of anyway, I didn't understand that. I thought it was all about me. So I clashed badly with Tom. Mm. Um, never really got on with him. He had to put up with me because 
Austin Rover were paying him to race the cars, prepare and run the cars, and I was part of that package, but we did run into problems along the way. And what was that like during that time when your that championship was taken away from you? With- at, at the time, I, I I didn't worry about the the British touring car, yeah. the eighty three. At the time, I'd won it, so okay. and the, you know the fact that we lost it or he lost it six seven months later in a court of law, and it was over. It it wasn't because the engine was oversized or it had a special. It was a grub screw. It was it was something in the engine to make it easier to maintain, and at the time I didn't give a hoot that I'd lost lost yeah. it nine months later, yeah. and throughout my career I've won races and lost them, yeah. you know, later in the sort of regulations. And again, I it's only now at my good old ripe old retirement age I think oh, I don't have. I'm not in the record books for that and yeah. I'm not in the record books for that so it's it's annoying today it wasn't at the time yeah. I couldn't care less I suppose at it that was, age you've been on the podium yeah you've, you've had the champagne the celebrations. you've done all that yeah. 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 and it's all about the next race yeah. you know whatever the last result is whether the last result is you won or you crashed or it broke down it's only about the next race you've got to keep the standard up mm. you'll keep going um, and during that time was the first time you kind of started Le Mans you you raced in Le Mans, and you said you never wanted Scared to... the life out of <laughs> Do you know what? I love... And it's refreshing to hear that, because yeah, for someone that doesn't race, like yeah. I love Le Mans more than anything, but it would scare the life out of me. And someone like you, who, this is what you do in that but moment. But I'm... Deep down, I'm a coward. I don't want to hurt myself. I have no desire to hurt myself. I'm a pessimist. I'm not an optimist, so... I do believe the accident can happen. Yeah. I, I, I have got very good teammates, still very good friends that I used to drive. It all, their whole attitude, it will never happen to me. I'm not like that. Okay. So, you know, whatever, whatever security, overalls, underwear, I put everything on mm. that I could, the best of everything, just in case the ultimate would happen. Le Mans just, the first time I did it, it was 83. Um, it was in a Mazda, rotary Mazda. And we, it was actually, that was a walking shore sort of invite. And there was no chicanes. So the straight was just yes, crazy. as long as you could imagine. You just sat there at 200 plus mile an hour. God. Just, and I'm thinking, what's that noise? Mm. Didn't do that. That vibration wasn't there before. You know, why is it what... And all these things That's are going through you your mind. Because, again, as a, when you think of racers, you think of drivers, they have a fearlessness about them. Not saying that you didn't have that, but you kind of... Yeah, to think that you're thinking about every... You know, this might happen, that. It's... Well, I then refused to go back for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, and I got a lot of offers to go back. But they were all not Mickey Mouse teams, but small teams that I didn't know. Mm. And I really, I didn't like it. I yeah. really, it, the, the place scared me and I thought it's, the, it's got the opportunity for the biggest disaster, mm. either one car or two cars or whatever. The speed differentials between the slow cars and the fast cars are horrific. Yeah. So I never went back. And then eventually... BMW sort of said, look, we know you don't like Le Mans, but we're going to do it until we win. Do you want to be part of this programme? And I thought, oh, Christ. Mm. 
Yeah, this is the biggest, you know, in my world, there's three big races. There's mm-hmm. Indianapolis 500, there's Monaco Grand Prix, which is the Formula One race yeah. if you want to win one. Mm-hmm. And there's Le Mans. Well, I'm not doing Indy and I'm not doing Formula One. Yeah. So if knowing BMW saying that they were going to do it until they won it, and I had to be part of that program. Unfortunately, when they did win it, I wasn't in that car. (laughs) (laughs) But you did put them in good stead, because, I mean, you got up to 99, finished fifth, which is fourth in class, but fifth in the race. You know, I... I think I often think it's not winning though. It's is not. It? No. See, I knew you were going to yeah. say that. Yeah, but I didn't win it. You're, I, I not there to be yeah. fifth. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to, if we look at, um, I mean, touring car and saloon car is what I think most people regard you for. That's that's kind of your 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 halo career. It was the late nineteen eighties, wasn't it, that you then found yourself in a seat with BMW, and that seemed to be quite that started quite a significant chapter with you in. BMW badged car, both in the world of touring car, but also, as you said, that, that stint at Le Mans as well. The, How did that happen? Well, in, in the Rover days weren't great. Mm. Um, the first year, 83, when I won the championship for nine months, um, <clears throat> they were okay. Mm. Um, and that year, they were BMW sent Hans Stuck over in a sort of semi-works BMW to compete in BTC. And I, he and I had some great races, and most of the time I beat him. So obviously when he went back to Germany and was questioned why he didn't win, he had to say, well, there's this flipping English guy that's really good. <laughs> and it, cut a long story short, BMW offered me a, a contract in 1983, which was three times the money I, that I was earning. Wow. And... To, they offered me a deal with either Snitzer team or Eggenberger to run in Europe. And again, I was I got talked into staying at Austin Rover by John Davenport. And they said, look, we'll match the money. We'll give you a long contract. Stay with your friends. You know us all here. And it, it did look daunting yeah. to st- go off and start driving for a foreign team, mm. foreign teammates at circuits that I never even seen or driven around so the easy way out um, was to stay at Austin Rover but I did regret it yeah Yeah. a bit of Um, a better the devil you know than the devil you don't kind of scenario and at at the end of my contract ended in 85 and I faxed them sounds good (laughs) don't email wow fax and a beeper faxed them and said right I'm I'm not renewing Mm. I knew they weren't going to offer me a contract, but a, a little bit of ego, I wanted to sort of tell them I wasn't staying. Sure. Yeah. And I tried to pick up the the situation with, Austin, uh, with BMW again, and it started off looking okay, and then it all went quiet over Christmas, and I started to get a panic on. Yeah. And then suddenly Ford rang me and said, did I want to be part of this Ford program, which had the Sierra RS500 yeah. coming in, 87 this was for 86 so we had to run a, a sort of a temporary you know car what do you, what's, what's the word i'm looking for and in between prototype. yeah well it wasn't a prototype it was uh it was just something until the cosworth came it was right. an, old, an xi 
Merck or something or other. Mm. I had a, a horrible thing it was. But anyway, <laughs> basically, the, I said, well, if the contract's long enough and I am, I get in the Cosworth, then fine. Yeah. So I went to Ford for three years. Mm. Uh, and they were happy years, but they were even happier when I got to BMW. So Austin Rover was a not not a happy time. Mm. Ford was good, good guys, good company. Mm. BMW just totally different level. Mm. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Do you think you made the right decision? Do you think that call of <coughs> I'm not going to go with BMW yet, I'm going to stick with Rover. You had obviously then that bit of time, a bit of added diversity with Ford and an iconic car as well. The RS500 obviously is now it's renowned as one of those hero cars of motorsport, isn't it? Do you think on reflection you did the right thing? Like it was the I right don't time know. To I mean, the problem is it's hindsight, isn't yeah. it? It's a crystal ball. Yeah, so, of course. You know, yeah. all, throughout my career, I've had a privileged career. Mm. Um, I've done what I want, wanted to do. It started as a hobby it turned into a profession. So I would never look back and say, <clears throat> could I have got to Formula One? Yeah. Could I have done yeah. this? Should I have done... I didn't. Yeah. So I, I don't... I'm not a person that... You know, I've made business decisions. They seem good at the time. Yeah. And then they turned out, oh, maybe shouldn't have done that. Like yeah. the Lincoln dealership. Maybe I should have hung on to that. Mm. But I did it. Yeah. And at the time, it seemed right. So don't... Don't I, I don't look back, I only look forward. Yeah. And at the time you say, you look back at things, think at the time it seemed right, around 92 for the spa, uh, 24 hours, um, your wife was pregnant, and, you know, sometimes I'd like to think when the time comes and we're about to give birth, my husband would be like, yeah, just take your time, I'm here for you, but you were racing, um, and you wanted her not to hurry along, but you had a race to do, there's a child to be born. Yeah, but- you're missing the point that I'd actually... <laughs> first of all, she rang me on the... I'd left for spa on the Wednesday. Uh-huh. And she rings me on the Wednesday evening. I'm not even at spa. And she How says, oh, she? I think I'm I think I'm think going into labour. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? I said, well, <laughs> ring me from the hospital when they tell you you're in, you're in labour. And okay. we'll discuss it. That was a false... False... Um, um, false alarm. Yeah, false alarm. Yeah. So then two days, three days later, I'm now in Spa and I've qualified. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the phone goes again and she says, I am in hospital. <laughs> and it's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, Get they're not letting here. me go home. They mm. say it's imminent. So I then got permission from the team to fly back. So I was in Spa, I flew back to London, got to the hospital mm. and, and you know, she's very calm, my wife. She also likes Le Mans. Mm-hmm. That yeah. shows you how calm she yeah. is. Yeah. I do. <laughs> um, and she just sat there. You know, it's like midnight now. And it was like she was at a spa and they were, you know, oh handing her. amazing. <laughs> you know, and I said, look, we're the best will in the world. Unless you produce, I can't sit here all night with you. I've got to, I've got to go back got and do a do. race. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I said, you need to produce this. <laughs> kid in the next hour. I would hour. punch you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't. She just smiled. Anyway, within an hour, oh, my daughter had arrived and I sort of was there. I'm not very good with sort of that sort of thing. I, I was I was in 
just about in the room, but yeah. I didn't see all the, yep. the, 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 the final details of it giving yeah. birth. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but I was then handed her and I made sure she was tagged up and they didn't mix her up with them. They <laughs> carted her off to the little room where all the other little yeah. babies were. Yeah. And good. then I left. Then I went back and won the race. How did you get your head then? into a race after, you know, to have the birth of, of your I, daughter. I, you touched on it earlier on. I mean, what are my strengths? I mean, if I'm doing something, I'm incredibly focused. Mm. Okay. So to do with my motor racing career, my wife will tell you that I spent more time on making sure I was employed the following year than anything else to do with motor racing mm. anything to do with fitness or driving or, or anything it was all to do with making sure i was employed the following year yeah. and to do with driving i can i have no problem in sitting there and concentrating for hour after hour and to do with setup and development of a car I, my strength is being able to focus on something without being distracted okay. so I had a daughter it was done it was over yeah she was a really. fit a healthy child looked pretty looked great um, she had a little tag on she was in with all the other babies <laughs> had Sopra on her tag she wasn't getting mixed up <laughs> wouldn't get mixed up didn't want someone else's no. um, and uh, that was it and I'd also done uh, I don't like 24 hour races full stop so they're too long for me. They take I, I give an awful lot in into the, the race, yeah. and it then takes me a long time to recover. I'm fine. Mm. I'll drive home after the race, but then the following week I'm trashed. Yeah. yeah. So I don't I, w- but again I'd done that race, I think eight times and never won it. So I was in a car that could win, and eventually we did win. Yeah. So my daughter nearly got called Spa. <laughs> I, I kind of would love that. Yeah. I know she wouldn't have done. No, she wouldn't have <laughs> Not done. at all. But so she loves all sort the of stories because this this story comes up all the time. Yeah. And of course, she was born and she's into racing. Right. And she's a big fan, so she loves the fact that. And my other daughter, who's two years younger, is a bit. You can see she's a bit jealous of. She wasn't part of this <laughs> being born over a race weekend. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it that she's jealous as well, not being born during a race weekend. I really do. So that win at, at Spa, what car were you driving there? Remind me. It's a BMW M3. Perfect. So that was the E30. E30, yeah. yeah. So that, I think, so that's where, when I think of you and your name, I see it written on the side of an E30 M3. That's just my go-to. and it, Perhaps that's my certain soft spot for the brand and certainly for the M brand but I think that is shared by a lot of people who are my age and a little bit younger is because that is the that's the kind of glory it was yeah DTM and touring car including the E30 M3 and the E36 M3 that for me absolutely founded my love for the brand BMW M so can you think now back to that time when you're in these kind of cars starting with the E30 and again thinking back to your time with Rover. You mentioned that I hated the organisation. You hate, yeah, I hated driving <laughs> yeah. that. There's real hate there as well. Yeah, but even then, I didn't think it was a good racing car. Right. I mean, he won races, yeah. so it had to be a good racing yeah. car. But to me, it wasn't a racing car. Yeah, it was a Rover that had been 
turned into a racing car. Yeah. Whereas if you think of BMW yeah, and the M3, it, mm. it was a racing car yeah. and we raced it. We just made it even a better racing car. Mm. So um, thinking back, the the M3 was a fantastic car, especially the U30. Mm. But I'm also, I love technology. Mm-hmm. So every year the racing car has an evolution or a new a new model mm. so it's very difficult again to look back and say well that was the greatest car yeah, yeah. <clears throat> i remember bmw asking me to do some promotional work for them and it was about the e36 compared to the e30 and we ah. went to goodwood with a load of journalists because <clears throat> no journalist liked the e36 they yeah that's right it was a bit too marketing me. department wasn't it <laughs> and i had to drive them around in the e30 quickly mm. and then get them into the e36 and drive it sedately but go faster mm. on the lap time but they still didn't like the e30 they said okay it's faster but we don't like it yeah. we like the e30 yeah and there's still an awful lot of that it's still to this day Stay, you know yeah. even now you know as somebody I've, I've i've not owned an e30 but i have owned an e36 and it's a funny thing where mm. you talk to other bmw m enthusiasts and they kind of go oh yeah but it's not really the it was a bit of a marketing department car because as you say the e30 was i think it was all but four panels were completely changed to make that a racing car so the e30 m3 was very much a homologated racing car on the road yeah Yeah. Yeah. the e36 was a road car that was also used for racing yeah so i think that's still even all this time you know nearly 30 years later it's still kind of seen as that oh it doesn't doesn't really count but can you remember, did the E36 racing cars feel special? Well, they did and they didn't. Mm. Because every year you've got an Evo 1, you've got an Evo yeah. 2, yeah. and then you've got the E36, which was which was quicker. Yeah. And as a racing driver, all you want is the fastest car. If they give you a 1,000 horsepower, you want, a, you want 1,500. Yeah. If they say it's 800 kilos, you want 600. Yeah. If you're a professional driver and you're competitive, you just want the best mm. that there is available. Yeah. yeah. So it's, um, they were lovely to drive. I appreciate them more today. Mm. I appreciate my career more today mm. than I did at the time. Mm. I used to, all I ever saw, my, my wife, before she was my wife and after she was my wife, she came to most, she's, she, she's a bigger f- or biggest fan of motorsport that you could meet so she would come to all the race meetings that she could come to until the kids came that hampered her a little bit Mm. but all we actually ever saw was the airport the hotel the Mm. racetrack the racetrack the hotel yeah Yeah, never saw anything else and have been around the world probably three four times Mm. five times been in all these never seen anything yeah just wasn't interested yeah yeah. You know, and and she was. Yeah. She would say, "Well, look, we're in Sydney. Why don't we stay on? No, next, let's leave it's now. That focus let's get again, it. isn't it? It's like yeah. done this one on to the yeah. next, on to the next. Yeah. When you look at again your career, um, and I love the fact that you've uh, raced in Japan. I love the fact that you didn't just stick to kind of the circuits you know or the countries that you know. What you know? What was the favorite place? I guess you've raced in the world and. <clears throat> And you know, was it an adventure? Did you? I think I think um, I love racing in the states. America, I love America. Yeah. I'm 
not sure about the Americans, but <laughs> I like America. Let's yeah. put a question mark over there. Yeah. I could have lived in America. I had a visa. I could have lived there. No one wanted, the kids wouldn't come with me. My wife wouldn't come with me. So, so we never got to live in America. And I kept saying, look, you know, we can go for three or four yeah. years. Mm. We, I'm not Do saying it. let's let's go forever. Yeah. It's just we have an opportunity. No, don't got friends here, don't want to do it. So um, I love racing in America. Why? What was it about racing in America? I, I think despite America, it was still very clubby. So you turned out of a full-blown international meeting. I did a lot of the American Le Mans series over there. Um, in 97, I did an FIA World Sports Car Championship. And two or three of the rounds were in America. And then later on in 99, I did them. But it, despite it was an international mm. big event, it felt like a nice, friendly club atmosphere. Mm. People would talk to you. People would wander into your camp and sit down and have a cup of coffee with you. Nice. It, it yeah. just... It just seemed a nicer environment. I don't think it was as safe. I think the health and safety <laughs> aspect of some of the circuits were a bit suspect. Right, yeah. <clears throat> but Pizza compared to Europe. <laughs> but I just loved it over there. Yeah. Uh, I just really enjoyed it. My favourite season, probably still all seasons, is Japan. Really? Yeah, and again, very why? Odd. I don't it? know. I can't tell you. Um, I, I didn't want to go. I was at BMW. They want. They offered to drive the the championship to Emanuele Piro, and he refused blankly to do it. Of course, he'd spent a lot of time in Japan with McLaren, mm. um, and I think that's why they wanted him. He was a name over there. So they then came to me, um, and they said, "What do we need to do to you know motivate you to go?" And I didn't want to go, so they. They paid me a lot of money to go, and I had, um, <clears throat> I had sort of. They agreed that if I wanted to come back for a weekend, I didn't have to ring up and say, "Can I book a flight home?" Yeah. I just booked the flight, and they paid. I had business class. I could stay at whatever hotel I wanted. Nice. And I, normally back then, a lot of European drivers would have. They called little mummers, which is like a Japanese little woman girl that just looks after them they're there to wow. sh get you from the train station to the racetrack they're, they're like your <laughs> valet well they, but that's what was so i imagined i was going to have this you know young pretty little yeah um <laughs> 25 year old yeah. um japanese person that was gonna wash me and shower me and <laughs> do everything i i needed and i ended up getting a 65 year old guy Brilliant. Who was um, who washed you? Luckily, didn't. Luckily, didn't. My wife at the time had the two kids, so she didn't come to any of the, the the races. I think she came to one actually when we won the championship. The last one she came to, but mm. I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed. I, I the, the first couple of races. Oh Christ! What have I done here? Yeah. Um, but once I got into it, the, the racing. They were great sportsmen on the racetrack. So, you know, you could stick your car on the outside of them round a fast out corner 
and they would give you room. In Europe, they just, oh, sorry, got a bit of understeer and right. slide off into you and push yeah. you out onto yeah. the grass, yeah. you know, make it look like a, an accident. Over there, they would, very sporting, would give you lots of room. The facilities, the actual racetracks and facilities, and bear in mind, I'd been spending a lot of time in DTM, which only had about three tracks and the rest were military airfields and things like that. Mm. But all their race circuits were just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they, you drive in and you'd have a little bit of, you know, a bit of rope at the back of the pits with your name and that's where you part. You know, in England... You'd Good take, luck. Yeah, yeah they, they make you park two miles away in a field. You, yeah. know, you drag all your stuff yeah. in and, and all of those, those little things are, makes yeah. a difference to me. I want to be able to yeah. drive up behind the pit yeah. and when I'm hot and bothered, I can yeah. go and have a sleep in the car or yeah. whatever. Mm. Yeah. It, was just, it was just a breath of fresh air. I was also getting paid decent money um, for it, which was obviously rewarding, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm. And then we went the second, we nearly won it the first year and then the second year I could see they wanted to go again, everything was getting organised, so I played really hard to get with BMW and said, no, 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 it's only for one year, that was the deal, I'm not going back for a second year. I wanted to go as well. Yeah. Yeah. And they, I just upped the ante on the, the, the money and so we went back and then won it the second year. And and out of all of my racing, I can't tell you why yeah. it was nice or it was better, or, but it was different. And I think because it was different and mm. the, their culture is so different, mm. that sort of made me enjoy it more. Um, and I did. And I, I, I think in two years I did something like 39 trips backwards and forwards from UK to Japan, I could sleep anywhere. Never got jet lag. Really? Yeah, just after so many trips, I just just was, you know, when I was tired, I just put a head down and I slept. Yeah. Was that hard on the family life? I don't know. My wife has always, you know, ever since she's known me, I I was professional when I met. I met her in... 83, 84. So, yeah, I once had, I've had conversations with friends and they say, well, you're never, you're never at home, you never saw your children. Mm. Um, I said, well, hang on a minute. So I said, so what time do you leave work? Well, I have to leave at six. So I said, the kids up? No, of course not. What time do you get back? Well, normally I get in about seven. Mm. So I said, kids still up or are they in bed or they're going yeah. to bed? So you spend an hour with them. I said, I, I'll do a, a week, yeah. and then I'm off for a week. Yeah. yeah. So I said, if we actually punch a calculator in mm. time, and it's not time, it's quality time. Yeah. That's right. So yeah. I said, you know, my, I'd, no, I never had any problem with, with yeah. the family um, or the children. The children knew what I did. Mm. Um, it, was, it was fine. Yeah. And like you said, it's the quality time that you put into... I think Being it's quality. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mm. think it's quality time, and unfortunately, my my two were at my one's thirty, one's twenty eight now. So, you know, I stopped in properly 
professionally I stopped in 2000 or 2001 so mm. they were they've never really they see me now messing around with historic racing and yeah. and that but they never were part of the or they were too young when they came mm. to the sort of full blown factory professional races yeah um, do you think they got it as as kids as little ones do you think they understood the full like dad is a a big name a big star or was it kind of i i i I think they they were confused at I mean I I'm <clears throat> I think my career was great because at a racetrack I'm well known mm. and people stop me want an autograph but at, outside of motorsport outside mm. of away from a <coughs> race circuit no one knows me yeah. so I can walk around Waitrose Sainsbury's yeah. anywhere mm. no one knows who the hell I am so yeah. the the kids are early on they didn't get why these people are coming up to me with a picture of me asking for an autograph. Mm. I think they, obviously now they do, but back when they were little, you know, they didn't understand that. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At all, that's confusing. Yeah. That's adorable. <laughs> I said that's adorable, but they didn't. Um, you've raced with a, a lot of a lot of different people. When you look at your teammates, um, what was it like racing with like um, your F one teammates, like with Nelson PK and people like that? Nelson was great. Um, Nelson and JJ. JJ was probably the fastest yeah, person I ever came JJ, across. Yeah. Just unbelievable speed. Um, typical finish driver it will never happen to me i'm invincible i don't care and some of the data i saw of him in the wet at spa just blew my my mind yeah. just blew my mind and on one single lap i couldn't couldn't compete in 97 when we became teammates with the mclaren we had an agreement that he'd start the first race the second race i'd start mm. he qualified the first race the second and after three races i said okay Forget all that. I said, you qualify it and you start it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you're in my car. Get get over your ego. This is going to be better for my car if if you take the lead. I just couldn't compete with it. Mm. I in a, on in the race, you know, race tires, race brakes, race fuel. I was as quick mm-hmm. within a, a smidge, you know, a couple of attempts. But on one single lap, or oh, in the wet, just That's unbelievable. Crazy. But he. Yeah. He was unique. All the rest, all the other Formula One drivers I've come across in my career, friends and that, I was always as competitive, faster, 
or little bit slower. I was right there. The only one was JJ. Nelson, with Nelson, you've got to bear in mind his career was over. So mm-hmm. his professional Formula One career, he'd done that. He'd been world champion yeah. three times. Now what he was doing was enjoyable for him. So, it, I mean, at Le Mans, he never drove at night. So it was JJ and I that drove at yeah. night. I won't tell you what he was doing at night, but as a woman, <laughs> you can guess. But it wasn't racing uh, a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you completely. Oh, so <laughs> on the subject of uh, the uh, nighttime events and racing, uh, you mentioned towards the beginning of our chat about your your disdain for endurance racing like spa for example because mm. the danger of it but we can't help but avoid 1987 24 hours of nurburgring i'm always fascinated to ask and discover from drivers even to this day because i'm I, 24 hours of nurburgring is my absolute fascination i love the event i love the race i love the spectacle of it have you driven around it many times yeah but the that element, that 24-hour race, is still looked upon as a almost like a 50-50 divide of, yes, I love driving it and I love racing it, or it's, I will do the race, but it terrifies me. How did you <coughs> feel ahead of your, your well, first that, race? That was the, I'd raced there mm. in the Rover, uh-huh. um, and the, the circuit, for sure, is the most incredible um, adrenaline rush you'll ever find. Mm. But so dangerous, you yeah. can't believe. And yeah. especially the 24-hour race. But it was it was Ford. I was still young and foolish. And mm. I, you know, do you want to do it? What are you going to say? No. Mm. And if I'd said no and they'd won it and I wasn't part of it, I would have been stupid. Yeah. Um, I was with two Germans, Klaus Niedfitz and Klaus Ludwig. Mm. And they both lived... One, you know, they were both within 50 miles of the circuit. And on their days off, they both had um, Honda Fireblades. Wow. And they used, right. to, they used to go there, pay their five Deutschmarks, and <laughs> yeah. race around wow. on their motorbikes. Mm. And Needsmith's had a bad accident doing exactly that. Right. And nearly lost his leg. So the point I'm coming back to, they knew the circuit like the back of their hands. Yeah. And I could be competitive to them, mm. but it wasn't coming natural. Mm. I was digging deep, but I could still be competitive. So come the race, <clears throat> race qualified, everything was fine. I was on their pace. Uh, the race started, and then in as, the, as night came, it started to get foggy and it started to rain. And Ludwig came to me and he said, right, he said, we will do the night shift for you. Mm. We know that we know we can drive around blindfolded. Yeah. You know, we've done yeah. thousands of laps around here in every sort of car, mm. which I believed. Um, so go, go to the hotel, mm. go to sleep, <clears throat> come back at 5.36 in the morning, daylight. If the car's still running, then we need you to do a triple stint. Wow. But... We don't, we don't think it's, we're going to win if we let you do the night stint with the rain and the fog and everything. Which is fair. It's easy for me. Yeah, yeah. Off, like, I yeah went, off I go. Yeah. Yeah. Came back the next, next morning, they were car was a lap in the lead. Amazing. And I just got in and stroked it home. So in one way, Nuremberg Ring was a, quite an easy 
mm. race for me. Other drivers would say it was a, an easy race, but then there's more pressure on you not to make a mistake yeah. because exactly, these two have yeah. put so much pressure on you yeah. by telling you to go home to the hotel yeah. or go to the hotel rather. And how easy is it is it to get a good night's sleep when you know that you've yeah, got I that stick coming sleep. up in the morning? Yeah, I could never sleep. You lay there yeah. and you're, you're resting, but I, mm. I never, I, you know, Le Mans Spa, you know, where you had motorhomes, caravans, hotels, I can never sleep. And certainly at the Nuremberg, I was there last week, actually last week. Oh, for the, the 24, yeah. 24, I did a Legends race um, the, the morning of the 24 our race and I was staying in the door in a hotel opposite. Yeah. and again all night wah, it's, wah. you're on the stage I love aren't it. you yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah do you still get a buzz like when you did the Legends race do you still get that adrenaline rush I know it's different yeah I think I'd still I, that's probably why I'm still doing it yeah. because of the adrenaline rush and the addiction um, you know whether it's historic or that um, it's I enjoyed and mm. um, was able to do it I got on the podium just it's um, which I thought I, on the way there I was convinced I was going to win, which is always a mistake <laughs> when I think like that. I love uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm winning. And then, this. then when I got there and after the first free practice, I thought I'm going to be lucky if I finish on the podium. Mm. Yeah. You know, and they had a nice little trophy which I kept looking at. All the trophies were the same. We just said one, two, and three. <laughs> and I, thought, I really want that trophy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I got. I eventually ended up with it. So it, the adrenaline was good and. You know, I hadn't been to the circuit. We we were obviously not on the long circuit. Um, we were on the short Grand Prix yeah. circuit, uh, and I hadn't been there for twenty twenty years. Do you bring back years. memories? Yeah, all the same lines. Yeah. yeah, other people were taking different lines. You know, good Shakoto and people like that were taking, and I still took my line. I love and that. I I kept wanting to try his line, but by habit, I always yeah. I just yeah. followed my line. Yeah. Muscle memory, isn't yeah. it? So what's replaced, you know, because obviously there's an adrenaline, there's an addiction when it comes to, you know, the sport of racing. What has replaced that since you've not been competitive anymore? Has anything replaced that? Well, I'm still racing. Yeah. So I get a lot of enjoyment out of building or help build the cars. Okay. So the, I started, um, I don't know, I had a neck injury. Do you know much about that? Not too much, no. Okay, well, I had a I had a shunt, had a shunt in Vegas in a prototype, uh, quite a big shunt. Trying to learn the circuit, I thought it was second lap. I thought it was Vegas, so we used half the banking and half of the infield, a bit like Daytona. Yeah. <clears throat> and went out with in the Le Mans car, the '99 BMW Williams car, and it was all brand new underneath, all nice Venturas and Aero and everything was spotless underneath. And on the second lap, I thought it was a third gear corner coming and it was a second gear corner. So I yeah. s- sort of drifted onto the grass on the outside and I was looking for a, a space to come back onto the track, which was nice and smooth. It wasn't all bumpy and mm. curbs, which would have damaged the underneath. And while I'm looking, messing around a 50 mile an hour but the the grass slightly went down an ingredient and there was a solid brick wall yeah, yeah. and it i just saw it and hit it and it pulled about 50 g yeah. and my head hit the steering wheel and cracked my crash helmet wow. oh wow um and i sat there i thought i was dead anyway it was a private test we had the circuit to ourselves 
and all the team. Um, well, when I sort of looked around, the team were already there, so it must have half dazed me, yeah, of course, winded me, time. because it probably took them two or three minutes to mm. get there. Anyway, um, that hurt. Mm. And then later, later on, I had another shunt at Brands Hatch, um, and I got knocked unconscious at the second shunt, only for about a minute. Mm. And when I came to, I... I'd lost a bit of my memory, another little story here. So I I just had a birthday and I didn't realise I just had a birthday and I didn't know what month it was. Or really weird stuff. Oh. Anyway, I was dragged off into the medical centre and they're sort of poking things, torches in my eyes. They said, well, you got a bit of concussion, but I think you're okay. So <clears throat> anyway, they said, oh, your wife's outside. My two daughters were there as well. So... They said, "Can we bring her in?" So, um, so she came in, and I, I thought this was really funny. Obviously, no one else did. But <laughs> I said, "I said, no, that's not my wife." <laughs> no. I said, I, "I'm married to her, much younger, and she's blonde." And of course, my my wife saw the funny. She was grinning, staring at me, and I'm saying to the doctor, I, "I can assure you, that's not my wife." Really? I don't know who. You got try. Is. Yeah. <laughs> I said, "I don't know who she is, but that's not her." Anyway, basically, they then said, look, don't drive home, which obviously I did, um, and take it easy in the next week. I had had a meeting in Lincoln, so I drove up Monday morning to Lincoln and did the meeting, felt okay-ish. And then the Monday night, Tuesday morning, I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. I, every time I got up, I got such bad vertigo. Mm. I just could not stand up. Um, and this went on for about a week, and eventually I, I rang my GP from bed, mm. and he said, "Well, yeah, he said that doesn't sound shock. He said there's something else going on. He said you have to get yourself here and we'll, or get yourself to a hospital. I'll organise a brain scan. Mm. So he said something's not right. So I had this scan, and actually the vertigo, the brain had just rattled around in mm. the skull, was yeah. all bruised, and that was that would fix itself but what they then found that I had a neck injury mm. so I had a vertebrain very close to the spinal cord oh wow so they just said stop yeah you know you're too old we're not gonna operate mm. um you you need to stop and I was at that stage I was 49 50 mm. so I was thinking of stopping I just got the dealership and so that really sort of um, stopped made me stop Um, I probably would have gone on slightly longer and and the only thing that I the only problem I had was the sort of Goodwood events I can't do Mm. the revival I can't do this I can't drive a friend's car I can't do it anyway so I stopped and I I tried to get a surgeon I did a lot of research on the guy I wanted to fix it um, and they go in from the front of the neck and navigate they have wow. to move your voice box out of the way and they have to navigate round to the back and wow. he wouldn't operate he just said he said it's too tricky an operation he said just change your lifestyle no skiing no water skiing no rugby mm. no motor racing you'll you'll be fine um and that i was okay but i stopped for about 10 years mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden this arm went numb i couldn't right. feel my left arm um, and I went back to see him 
And he said, right, he said, now you need surgery. And he says, you don't need it next week. You need it tomorrow oh, wow. or Monday because he said it's, it's moved and it's now embedded in the spinal cord. Oh, my God. Wow. So they operated and that was a five-hour operation and they removed two vertebrains, three discs, and they put little carbon cages in. Oh, wow. The, the little carbon cages um, have little bleed holes in them. Uh-huh. And the vertebrains, which are bone, they then push to a grind to a powder or paste, and they put it in the carbon cages, and that all seeps out and helps it all heal up. Isn't that incredible? So each month I went back to see him. He said, yeah, great, you've got good movement Mm. and everything. And he said, right, no, you're fine, you don't need to see me. I said, how strong is it? He said, oh, it's strong as when you were 18. Oh, no, I bet that's like, right then. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So he said, can I raise you? Oh, wow. So Was your wife all right with that? Sorry? Was yeah, no, wife... she was fine. Yeah. She was, she'd missed it for 10 years more than I had. It's because yeah. you're home a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so then I started the historic and classic you know, racing again. A friend of mine kept saying to me, before I, whilst I was recovering, he kept saying, I've got a GT40, you and I are racing it. I said, I don't think I'm going to race a GT40. Mm. So he said, yes, you are, you know, anyway. Because <laughs> we ended up doing that. So we did that, we did five or six races in wow. that. And it was a GT40 race, only GT40s at Goodwood. I don't know what year it was, I think it was, 17 or 18. I remember it, yeah. yeah we it won great. that. So right. it was the Alan Man yes. Trophy, so we won it with his Was it his great guy. being back? Was it great yeah, just it being right. And it was very odd because, oh, Christ, I'm going to... 10 years, what have I lost? I'm going to yeah. have lost a bit of speed. I ah. thought my racecraft would be fine, but the speed... Yeah. How long is it going to take me to get up to speed? Four laps to get up to speed. Brilliant. Racecraft had gone. <laughs> I could not believe oh, really? how stupid... I was in a race. That's I'd say you haven't used your brain like in I that way. I don't know. I don't know. I no. I'd be saying to myself, "Don't go on the no. Don't go on the left. Don't go on it. Why are you going on the left? Yeah. I told you not. And I couldn't. <laughs> oh it took yeah. Took probably six, seven, eight months to get the racecraft back. Wow. But the, my speed was immediately back. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. And what was it like for your peers? Because of course, I guess a lot of the guys that you were racing with. Throughout your career, they obviously then continued, did a bit of historic racing in that time that you had your 10-year 10, 10 sabbatical, we'll I call it. I don't think many people noticed I wasn't there. Oh, was really? It? I don't really. <laughs> Forgettable. I, and, it, and 10 years went, did appear to go yeah. very, very quickly. I didn't miss it mm. because when someone says you can't race, yeah. you know, it, it could you could paralyse yourself or kill yourself. Yeah. You just go and do something else. And I had yeah. the business. Yeah, I was messing around, you know, making that... That wasn't right when I bought it, mm. and it took a good few years to get it right. Yeah. So I just put all my focus into that. Yeah, and ten years later, you're back racing. Yeah. When you look at the championships around now, you know, and the drivers around now, first of all, what driver excites you, would you say? Are there some drivers that you think, ah, if this was back in my day, you'd be my competition? Yeah, th- there are a lot of very good drivers mm. around. Um and I, I only keep track of what I'm interested yeah. in. So I just looked at Le Mans results. Mm. I don't, you know, who are, mm. you know, well, I know him, but half of the grid, yeah. I didn't really know. Yeah. Um, but there are some in, in really, really 
talented drivers, not just saloon car drivers, single-seated drivers, you know, ones coming up. And uh, there, yeah, there's a lot of that. You think, oh, God, you wouldn't want him as a teammate or as a teammate in your car, but not in the other car. Yeah, not the competition. So I think there's an awful lot of talent around, but I still think it's, it's still all this money. I mean, when I was at my peak, prime, kids would ring me up and say, how, how do I be a race driver? And you know, and it's really not very nice what I, I'd yeah. say. I said, well, is your dad a millionaire? Mm. And they said, no. And I said, well, do you, are you sporty? And they say, oh, yeah, I'm really sporty. I said, well, go and buy a tennis racket. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, you can afford to beat the shit out your garage door mm. with a tennis ball and tennis racket. And you can even afford an odd bit of coaching yeah. but motor racing yeah where do where do you find that money was that like that though in the 80s and 90s has it always been a rich man's sport yes rich man's but world? not as rich as it is mm. i you know i if we go back to the 70s i remember having a little mini cooper mm. and it, i think i paid 500 pound for that mini cooper and that was ex- expensive in the yeah in the car. 70s or 80s no in the 70s this was and I sold that Mini Cooper and bought a racing car with it. Yeah. And I won races with that racing car. Mm. Well, so okay. so let's say you, you're driving a BMW M, M4. Mm. You couldn't sell that <laughs> no. M4 and go <laughs> racing race. for a season. Yeah. yeah. So it's all relative. It's a lot more expensive now. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Is there championships you look at? Like, I don't know what we've got. We've got Formula E. Like, away I think Formula E is great. Yeah. I mean, I, it's got so many critics. And I, I, I suppose if you're there, it's, all you hear is the car hitting the ground. You don't, you don't hear much. Well, you hear a bit of the, the electric mm. motor screaming. But, but I think the racing and the, the, driver, the driver talent in it and the actual racing is, is fantastic. Yeah. I yeah, think it's I really good. And I'm a big, big fan of indie racing. Yeah. So I watched I watched the indie on the on television last night, and I just, to me, that's. I still think it's slightly more entertaining than F1. Yeah. Mm. Just because it's you know there's a different winner every weekend, and they are, they do go for it. Bit health hazard over there, <laughs> but you know they go hellfire. Is there anything you look at and you think? I would love to have raced in that. When you look back, not really. I, I, again, something else you touched on was the. Um, I, if you, I, if you pick where you want to race, and where you're going, I, I've been racing for nearly ten years in the UK, so I'd driven to Snetterdon, which I don't like. Mm. Um, I don't like the journey there. It annoys me. I don't like the journey <laughs> to Cadwell me. Park. You know, and there's all yeah. these little gripes. So yeah. suddenly, you, when you're offered to go and race in Europe or DTM or America, that's that doesn't phase me. That's mm. a new challenge or a new exciting part of the world. To stick with going to, you know, I've got friends, colleagues, friends. All they've ever done for 25 years is BTC good mm. some of them have earned you know Jason's earned yeah. good money at it Clennon's earned a lot of money at it but they've it's a, it's a bit like 
a footballer, you know, yeah. being asked to go and play for, you know, Madrid or something, or staying at Arsenal. Yeah, never stay with Arsenal. I'm a Tottenham fan. <laughs> never stay with Arsenal ever. <laughs> but you know what? I, the yeah. point I'm making. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's to me. There's more of a, you know, whoa, what's what's out there? What's mm. that going to give us? And the more I did in overseas, different countries, the more, the more I loved it. The more passionate I, I just would have. I would have stopped if I'd been. Um, confined to the UK I would have probably retired and stopped a lot earlier mm. I just would have got bored yeah, yeah. Um, and there's still you know the my historic race I'll pick where I want to go I'm, I'm not going there yeah you know even if yeah, yeah even yeah. if there's a championship round and I'm, even if I'm up in the championship I'd have to be guaranteed that I was going to win the championship to make me go to a certain racetrack yeah mm. And it's more than one of those. So yeah. I want to go to, you know, I'm quite happy to go to Spa or Paul Rickard and mm. Zanvoort. They still hold little buzzers for me, yeah. but Snetterton doesn't really do that. You don't like it, do <laughs> it's you? It's so no. true. It doesn't matter where you live in the UK. If you live in Norfolk, Snetterton's still a nightmare to get to. Yeah. Yeah. But everywhere yeah. else in the country, it seems the road, to take four you know, hours. To yeah. the, the road has got better yeah. to Snetterton. Yeah. You know, it is motorway, but it's yeah. just... You know, it's it's engraved yeah, in my yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. like Snitterdon. <laughs> You'll yeah. never change your mind. No, yeah, it's so. yeah, it's one of those. If you if you're there, even with just a group of track day friends, as I often are, and somebody will ask <clears> Snitterdon, <throat> it's an idea, and everyone goes, no. <laughs> so um, now we we said at the beginning of our podcast that we're sat in the, the dealership here at Partridge BMW, and you've mentioned a couple of times that you. Um, you took financial ownership of this dealership. You also had another dealership up in Lincoln. Both BMW, is that right? Yeah, and Mini. Uh huh. Why? What is it? Is it the success with BMW in motorsport? Why not Mercedes? Why not Audi? What is it about BMW that you love? Uh, um, the first part is, as a child, being dragged along to Silverstone Crystal Palace um, as a 15, 16 year old, watching the BMWs touring cars, the Batmobiles and CSLs and all that, yeah. with the Eggenberger and the Schnitzer and um, Luigi. Mm. It just, you know, as it, I was very, very impressed mm. um, and thought, oh, what a life. Wouldn't that be lovely to be able to do, you know. And, they, you know, the, when we saw them at Silverstone, that was for one race. They were going around the world. So there was always this twinkle mm. of a BMW you know, I remember saying, and I believed this, when I said this to my boss at the time, we were at a big BMW meeting, and there was a lot of board um, board directors there, and there was one director, and he said, so tell me about this racing we do. And I started banging on about the racing, and I said, to, to me, to race for BMW as a touring car driver, saloon car driver, it's the same as Formula One. You only want to race for Ferrari. Mm. I only want to race for, and I meant it. Yeah. It, it wasn't yeah. a, a mark. It turned out to be the best thing I ever said mm. because he wrote that down and yeah, off he went. <laughs> you know, right, so done. yeah. So I got another ten quid on my next pay salary. <laughs> but um, but it it you know their history yeah. and their their grassroots 
in my opinion, have always been motorsport. Mm. Uh, another quick story at Ford. We, I was in, I was employed by Ford Cologne, and he had a factory there and a restaurant on the top floor. Um, and I remember having lunch, and there was a director sat next to me, my boss here, and a director. And he said, "What do you do then?" Bit, you know, hadn't seen me there before, and I said, "Well, I race your cars. Race? What cars do we race?" And I said, "Well, Sierra Cosworth. Do we?" That's no. Didn't have a clue. Wow. You, you, that would never happen at BMW. No. Whoever you went to Munich, went to the four cylinder building. You, every person in there knew what their motorsport was, mm. and ninety percent knew who I was. Yeah. Whether yeah. it was the receptionist, or it was someone upstairs in another, you know, sales or whatever, they all knew. It was just engraved in their blood. And that's lovely to drive. You know, Austin Rover wasn't great. (laughs) Ford was okay, quite good. I was quite impressed with the way I was treated at Ford. But BMW was just, you were just spoiled. Yeah. Uh, And you were spoiled in the nicest Mm. way. some of the bosses were difficult to get on with, others were easy, but they all had this rate. They were racers. Mm. Didn't yeah. matter if you liked him, they were deep down, they were racers. And there's, that, that's a difference. Yeah. And that's ultimately what led you to. And that's M car. Yeah. You know, all the great M cars that we've seen and driven and owned and looked at, mm. even today, it's part of that. Mm their grassroots and I I still think that BMW um, I don't think anyone makes a bad car today I agree um, yeah. but I do think BMW BMW has their own image yeah and I think it's a good image you might not like the new look or the mm. new grill or something but they're not following the same trend yeah as Audi Mercedes yeah. Porsche whatever they you a little bit unique yeah that's my opinion and going back to the dealer i, I suppose i've got this tattoo <laughs> bmw on the forehead mm. and all, obviously all my contacts were bmw mm. so to try and own an audi or mercedes wasn't really to to get lincoln was tricky yeah. i kept talking to bmw gb <clears throat> and they're just playing lip service with me mm. you know back then you couldn't buy one there was a book with about five names in it and then there was another book with a hundred names in wow. and i was in that book which was, <laughs> were never opened mm. it was just a book to put a name in and eventually after about 18 months and I, my boss kept saying to me when you when are you going to retire he says i'm not retiring you what are you going to do when you do stop? And I said, you know, I'd like to have a dealership and not raise them, sell them. Yeah. Great, fantastic. So after a couple of years with talking to GB, I rang him up. I was still employed, and I said, look, they're not, they're not taking me serious. And luckily, he was over his his um, ranking. He was over the. um, than the BMW GB guy, the managing director of BMW GB, my boss, Carl Irons Cadfield, was worldwide marketing director and he'd just taken BMW under his wing because he wanted it, motorsport rather. So he just took motorsport because he was a a fan. Um, And he rung this managing director. He said, look, give him a chance. 
Great. He's not as stupid as he looks. <laughs> 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 Which is, you know, fine. Yeah. He said, give him a chance. He would, yeah. And very, very, very... I was in the States and they rung up, reluctantly they rung up and they said, look, we've got one in Lincoln. I didn't even know. <laughs> I, really? You know, I knew where Lincoln was, but I didn't know if it was 80 miles. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd ever been to Lincoln. Yep. Yeah. But I knew if I said no... They could have justified. Well, we offered him one, but it wasn't geographically. Yeah, that would have been it. Yeah. Have been it. Yeah. So I, st- I just said yes over the phone. And I had wow. to. It, everything was right. It was in trouble. Mm. They were terminating the guy, and I could afford it. Great. What the money they were talking about to get in the door, mm. I could just about raise. So I just said yes. So it was a pre-existing BMW yeah. dealership. Yeah. That must have been so exciting yeah. for everyone else in sort of management roles or even sales roles. Oh, I don't think so. Not was it when not? I turned up. <laughs> oh dear. And I, you know, I hadn't sat in an office. Yeah. For thirty years. Well, I don't think I'd ever sat in no, an office. No, I was going to say yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. No. So you Quite know, for me world. turning up, um, I did. Um, I've got. There was four or five people. There was only. 19 staff when I bought it and when I sold it there was 135 wow um and there was about five or six of those original staff and three of them have since retired and they've all written me lovely letters and bear in mind I sold it you know quite a number of years ago saying I was the best boss but I did I did sort of I wasn't What's the word? Slightly um, a normal boss. Yeah. I did things my my way. I had a lovely this. I don't know how much time we got, but <laughs> I, another quick story. So yeah, um, I in the early days, first five years, I'd I'd ask for something to be done, and it wouldn't get done, mm. and it used to really mm. gripe me. And uh, eventually, I I came up with a little story to the person who hadn't done it so a lot of the staff had heard this story and a new new guy joined us one day and he sort of i asked him to move move something in the workshop and on the monday and at the on friday this all this rubbish was still there Mm. probably wasn't rubbish but i didn't want it in the workshop so he said come here i'll tell you a story about a racing car and all the all my other stuff oh god and they all got out of the way and the guy sat down so i said this is where i've come from so i said there's a racing car and it's in a workshop in the uk and it's in a thousand pieces Mm. and i said that's wednesday and they said they build that car up wednesday wednesday evening they're still working on it thursday morning they finish it they transport it to london airport clear customs gets put on a in a container puts on an airplane and it flies to Miami and I said a couple of people meet it at the other end and I go through this big rigmarole and it gets to the racetrack gets to Sebring say and they look at the car cars all okay we tested on the Thursday and the Friday they rebuild it on the Friday night for qualifying we qualify it, small accident, no problem, a couple of hours, the accident's repaired. <laughs> and I'm I'm speeding this up. Can you imagine how I can drag this on? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, <laughs> and then I said, uh, then qualifying comes, qualify the car in the front row. <clears throat> and then I said, then that car is completely stripped. 
new engine, new gearbox, new drive shafts, new brakes, new wheel bearings, everything, new tyres, ready for the race. We do the race, maybe we win, maybe we don't. Sunday night, that car's transported back into a transport. It goes back to Miami. It's put into a container and it's flown back. It arrives <clears throat> back Tuesday morning. Tuesday morning, it, it leaves Heathrow. It gets back to the workshop. On Wednesday, because it's done a race, it's taken completely apart. Mm -hmm. So we're back to where we started. That's the world I've come from. Mm. Asked you to move those boxes yeah. a week ago, and you can't even do that. Mm. What have you, have you, have you transported a car? Have yeah. you yeah. done a race in Sebring? Yeah. That, things happen, you know, and I, I'd say to them, you know, we break something, we don't have it, and they fly a bit in all the way from London, fly. and this is all, in motorsport, this is what happens. Mm. Yeah. You know, you don't give up, you haven't got that bit, you don't go home. You just, you bring up someone at the factory and they stick that in yeah, their handbag yeah. each and get on an aeroplane and yeah. get it to... I said, so I don't want to ask you again. Yeah. So, and that, so my approach on running a business was completely different. Yeah. So and they either get me, you know, if we are having a meeting and it's meant to be midday at one o'clock, a management meeting, I, if I'm sat in there at one o'clock... I want everyone else to be. I don't yeah. want someone yeah. coming late. Yeah. It just really mm. annoys me. And another part, my mm. boss and I had the best relationship at BMW, Carl Iams Capfell, was, um, <clears throat> who was a real fanatic and a bike fanatic, was actually killed at Brands Hatch on, after he'd retired, he was racing old vintage bikes mm. um, in some championship and unfortunately was fell off and another bike hit him and killed him mm. um but his pet thing was timing and yeah. i remember flying for, for a meeting at midday in munich and i got there and i knew what he was like and i got there at um it was two or three minutes past 12. i'd already bribed the cab to go as quick as he can <laughs> and anyway i walked in and the, the receptionist was on the phone which really wound me up and then eventually she hangs up she rings his secretary and he's secretary comes wandering down with a big grin on his, her face and by now it's sort of six minutes past <laughs> Jesus you know what he's like yeah, he says, yeah. six minutes late go home rebook really couldn't see me wow and when I when I got back he said Whoa. He, he said I start work at 6.30 he said sometimes I'm still here at nine o'clock in the evening yeah. he said if everyone's six minutes late he says I'm going to be here at ten he says, I'm not the racing driver. That's, you know, he said, come the night before. He said, we'll pay for the hotel. Mm. You'd be on time. I was never late again. No, wow. I wouldn't. Wow. So, wow, so strict. But, yeah. 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 But, and that is, you know, I, I wasn't oblivious that I was yeah. two minutes late. Mm. I knew he was fussy, but I'm a timekeeper. My wife's always late. You know, every for the last thirty years, in the morning. <laughs> oh God, I'm five minutes late. I should have left by. Tell me something new. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm just it's just like a long plain I record. It's yeah. so common I yeah. think, in all relationships, isn't it? And it's yeah. never. It, it's not always the husband or the wife. But there's always one that's great yeah. for timekeeping. Yeah. Well, and the you other know, they say opposites attract. So, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I get it. But so I was. I don't think I was the. You know, and I, if someone. 
I'd blow, I'd blow up at them. I wouldn't mm. sit them down the same. You really shouldn't be doing yeah. that. I'd just let fly at them. Yeah. But I've, I've had lots of letters from girls that have either got married and had families and, mm. and said, you know, you were the best boss. Mm. You know, we, we knew exactly where we stood with you, yeah. but we also knew we could always knock on your door and ask for anything. Great. We didn't always get it. Yeah. But you could ask for it. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. That's so, so lovely. And obviously, you know, your management style clearly paid off. The dealership grew, and as you say, tenfold in the staff and everything else. Was it quite I think, a... Well, we relocated it just outside Lincoln on the A46, just on the uh-huh. sort of bypass coming in, which I... We built a brand new place, which when I was building it, I nicknamed it the Titanic. Because I thought it was so big, it was just looking for the iceberg, <laughs> and it would eventually sink and end up in a load of disaster. But it didn't, uh, to be fair. Um, but it—I think when we bought it, I think the turnover was about—I don't know—five or six million. And when I sold it, I think it was sort of close on to a hundred and twenty wow. million. So we went from nineteen to about a hundred and thirty people. Amazing. Um, Does that make but, you proud? Yeah, and it 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 made me, it made it, it more satisfying because a lot of BMW people thought I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't, you know, they, I, BMW has a lot of support, so there's a lot of people, air, regional managers, mm. that come around and mm. question what you're doing, but also help you. Yeah. So if you don't understand something, so in the first year I was, you know, I just said I don't get this. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. these IFCs. I can't read mm. your BMW management accounts. I can't read, mm. and they, to be fair, they spent a lot of time. Um, you know, I was in there. I bought it, so I suppose they had to. Yeah. But once I got it, I got it. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And I, yeah. there were days when I thought. I can't ask again, yeah. but I had to because I, it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, I could read manage, management accounts, but I couldn't read their accounts. And then you have IFCs where you look at the whole network. There's not names, but you mm. can see what the rest of the country's doing mm. and all the departments, and I couldn't read those. Mm. And eventually, you know, the penny dropped, and then I was annoyed at myself why I didn't see it. It's a whole new world, yeah. 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 I was just used to reading gauges. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing though, that you come so, in and you conquer it. But but again, it's it's dyslexic people. If you look at the successful dyslexic people, they have really bad qualities in some areas, but they're very very unique in other areas. Yeah. Um, and normally the the unique areas are more worthwhile than the, yeah. the, the not so. You know, I, 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 I think I'm right. You have to Google it, but I don't think Jackie Stewart can write. Really, I think he can sign a checkbook. You're now, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it start, and you read the books on Branson and yeah, that's people yeah. like this. Yeah. But they've got different. Uh, you, we've got yeah. spatial dyslexic people. That I can I can pack a boot. <clears throat> so the taxi comes and my wife comes out with, oh, I can't get... And he'll try once and he's, he hasn't got a clue. I can visualise mm. how all those bags go into that boot first time. Yeah. And I shut the boot and the guy looks at me. Mm. You know, like, yeah. yeah. 
Tetris World Champion as well, I'd, I'd assume. Sorry? The Tetris World Champion, the game where the blocks fall down and you put them <laughs> in the right order. You're all over that. Yeah, yeah. well, some things I'm good at, some are not. Yeah. So, but it, it's a, you know, it's going back to BMW, I, I had the, the greatest relationship. Hmm. I, I had to work hard at it. I bet, But yeah. if you gave you got back it wasn't all one-sided um and i had until the only tricky um guy was gerhard berger Mm. so he was tricky at the end of my career but all the other bosses were fantastic great so and i'm you know they they let me drive a car at the festival of speed they're bringing over that mclaren uh, they're bringing over the le mans car which i only drive on thursday up the hill because Mm -hmm. the m director is coming over to drive it Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. But then I got a McLaren to drive Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That'll do. So yeah, that'll be all right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, At least yeah. It, if it rains, I've got a roof. Yeah. <laughs> the other one doesn't have <laughs> Boom, one. Boom, winning. <laughs> Fantastic. So, uh, so before we wrap things up, because we've, we've taken an hour and hour, over an hour and a half of your time here, Steve, which has okay. been absolutely But it's been incredible. fun. It's been If it had been boring, I would have been saying... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wrap it up, guys. <laughs> yeah, um, you're um, you're you're here as a consultant now with Partridge, and I, I guess as we we joked at the beginning, didn't we, about the joy of coming in and talking perhaps for three quarters of an hour about motorsport, maybe adding in fifteen minutes of business. And um, what is yeah. it about the modern range of BMWs? You still get to drive a couple of the new cars every so often. Is there anything yeah. that's really jumped out in the past few years that you've gone, oh, actually, that's a that's really surprised me. I've got an electric i3. Have you? Yeah. I X3. Yeah. All electric. I'm. I. I. I said at the at the beginning. I'm into technology. Uh huh. <clears throat> and once I'm driving it, I don't know it's electric. Yeah. It's when you get in and shut the door and press a button and drive off. Nothing I happens. think this is a bit, yeah. this yeah. is not yeah. quite right. Strange. Yeah, strange is the better word. Um, but I love technology. So, yeah, I can drive, you know, I, if I say to Toby, can I, you know, borrow this or take that or have one of these, mm. you know, it's uh, he'll let me do whatever I want, really. Okay. So I still get to drive everything that I want to drive really either take it home or just give it a blast up around the block Um, so I still love them I love all all cars not very good with old cars old racing cars are okay I like I love looking at old cars Mm. but every time I buy one and get in it and drive it I I really get annoyed with it really yeah Mm. so just because it doesn't drive as well as I think it should. Yeah. Perhaps that's a career of, as you mentioned earlier, every year, even if you, even the same model of cars, E36, year on year got better and better. So I guess you've always been used to progression and everything gets better. Suddenly you get in something 10 years old or 20 years old, it's like, oh. And it's technology. These cars, they steer themselves now. They put on a motorway, you put them on cruise. They They steer, they brake, they, you know, wake you up if you're, wandering lanes <laughs> I get quite annoyed because mine's always waking me up and saying stay in lane stay in lane <laughs> so note to self do not get in a car with you yeah. <laughs> you do need to lift back to the train station don't right you? oh no <laughs> but I love I love technology yeah um, on cars and what it can do and mm. what it can't do mm. um, and some of the, when I say I don't understand it I do understand it 
But I think, why? Who thought of doing that? Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. You know, and if you do drive old cars, not only do I race them, but I, you know, I do like old cars. I just get annoyed when I drive them. But <laughs> you, you suddenly realise how much we've progressed oh, over God, yeah. Yeah. a decade or yeah. two decades or, or whatever. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I think we better wrap up there because let you uh, continue the rest of your day. We've got some filming and bits and pieces to do. But Steve, thank you so much mm, for giving us so much more time. Today. No, it's interesting. Thank it's you. Not great to meet you both. Yeah, yeah likewise, likewise, and yeah, it's always I love unfolding mm. the mind of um, drivers that you know we've all been watching for for many years. You know, it was I was. A, a very small child at the time that I enjoyed your career, so it feels very surreal. Yeah, that always nice. makes me feel say, really old. Say like I know, sorry, I, a teenager or something like years. that. Come on. The but, problem is, I know how old I am, and I'm really yeah. old. So <laughs> it's uh, it does sort of gripe me. Sort yeah. of, I don't like being old. No. I yeah. I, I had a I had um, a McLaren actually a few years ago, and I actually really liked the car. Mm. I kept the car for quite a while, and I used to get in and out of it. And my daughter, if she was coming with me, she said, look, the car's really cool, Dad. Mm. And you look okay. Not great, but you look okay in it. But you can't make those grunting noises when you get in and out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. Hide your pain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get in and out the damn thing. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, okay. Perhaps to try and counteract my uh, my vicious attack on uh, me being a child at the time, mm-hmm. you shared that lovely story about why BMW and why it means so much to you. And I think it's been clear in this conversation. Certainly, our regular listeners on the podcast and people that look at our YouTube channel and read our articles on the website will know that for me, BMW and BMW M especially is very much in my blood through and through. And you recalled that lovely story of it's that was it was always the glitzy car that you saw racing when you were a child. Well, for me, it was the same. And for a lot of it, it was you at the wheel, Steve. So thank you from, mm, thank from you. me as a, a very personal thing. Because, um, yeah, it's it's people like yourself that have instilled such a huge amount of passion into people like me and many others. And, and long may that continue. You know, I've not been lucky enough to go down the route of, of motorsport. But, you know, I am very fortunate. I get to drive a lot of these lovely cars. I, I own my own BMW M cars, a track day car. And... Yeah, I, the reason I love them is because of watching such amazing racing over the years and by people like you. Well, it's 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 very nice for you to say that and hear, but if you're in my shoe, mm. you don't appreciate mm. what you've achieved or what you've done for other people standing mm. Mm. Um, on the outside looking in or watching it on TV. It's um, it, I think I'm. Per- Personally, I think I'm fairly well grounded anyway, but I just don't believe that I'm a celebrity. Mm. Um, I'm be- I'm trying to believe it as I'm getting older, um, because it actually helps the ego yeah. regarding the age. You know, you sort of balance the two <laughs> yeah. the two up. Yeah. But um, it's it's very very difficult for someone to say, oh, you know, you're this and you're that. To nice, mm. but it's difficult to. Accept that and acknowledge that. Well, that's your old man keeping you grounded. In the yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
Steve, thank you so much, as I say, for your time. It's been wonderful having a chat with you. Thank you, Rachel, as well. This, yes. is, uh, this is, believe it or not, this is, um, despite the fact that Rachel joined us recently, this is our first duo podcast that Isn't we've done it? together. Yeah. Oh, really? So, yeah, I think we did okay there, yeah, Rachel. we did all right. I think we're a yeah. nice little team there. <laughs> yeah, good nice work. Little team. <laughs> um, thank you, dear listener, as well, of course, for joining us once again and listening to this great deep dive into uh, a wonderful human being. If you would like to find out more about what we do, of course, you can visit our website, drivenchat.com, to see all of our pictures, videos, written articles, and our entire background catalogue of these wonderful podcasts uh, you have of course got our youtube channel and our social feeds at driven chat to keep on top of and of course we are here at partridge bmw a huge thank you to partridge for putting us up today in their lovely offices we are filming today as well so there will be a video coming out in the next i say the next month or so because we are we're really putting a big song and dance into this with uh, some great footage some great driving of different cars and a lot of coverage from here at Partridge BMW as well. So keep an eye on our YouTube channel for that and make sure you are subscribed. Uh, for now, I will leave you and say thank you very much, Steve. Thank you once again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. And thank you, Rachel. Thanks. And thank you, dear listener. <laughs> Speak to you next week. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye